January 6th was certainly a moment of reckoning for the social media platforms. Scrutinizing social media giants. It's Wednesday, January 5th, and this is VOA Asia. I'm Chris Cascio in Washington. Find us online at VOA Asia Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also ahead, Chinese infrastructure investment in Kenya, Chinese resettling in Ecuador, reducing skin cancer risk, artificial intelligence targets poachers, previewing CES 2022. It's all on today's VOA Asia. For U.S. social media companies, the violent mob storming the U.S. Capitol on January 6th last year spurred action. They shut down then-President Donald Trump's accounts. One year later, are Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube any better prepared to face similar situations in the U.S. or in other countries? VOA's Michelle Quinn reports. One year after supporters of President Donald Trump stormed the U.S. Capitol, the former president is still not permitted to use Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, the digital stages where he directly spoke to millions of followers. It's uh, not a fair situation, very, very bad for this country, very bad for the world. If they can do it to me, they can do it to anyone. January 6th was certainly a moment of reckoning for the social media platforms. Trump was accused of using the platforms to stoke the riot. His suspension is a stark reminder of the power social media companies have over political leaders who run afoul of their rules. But despite the ban, after January 6th, social media companies came under intense fire from critics who said the suspension was too late, coming years after tolerating Trump's violations of the company's rules. For their part, technology companies have said they are constantly working to make their services safer. Twitter's former CEO said at a congressional hearing that Twitter did bear some responsibility for disseminating disinformation that led to January 6th, but pointed to the larger culture. But you also have to take into consideration a broader ecosystem. It's not just about the technology platforms we use. There have been some changes. Twitter enacted a five-strike policy on misinformation about COVID-19. Facebook now applies its content moderation rules to politicians a group it had shielded in the past. But the changes strike some experts as small. Whether or not they've actually changed how they think about their products and their algorithms and the core business models, that I think is less so. That I think is um, they still continue to play a bit of whack-a-mole. Looking out to elections this year, the potential remains that social media could lead to more unrest, observers say. We really need to start planning now um, for all those things. And I haven't necessarily seen what I would like to see from the companies um, around what they're doing. Some critics point to the company's way of making money, advertising, and how the firms have created algorithms that highlight extreme content that is more engaging. A lot of these platforms have made tweaks around the edges, but at the end of the day, it's about the business model. These platforms are fundamentally designed to elevate, amplify, proliferate the most problematic things on the platform, things like election lies, racial violence. Congressional Whistleblower leaks at Facebook showed how some of these problems are familiar to company executives. In the coming year, lawmakers could try to force the companies to make bigger changes to policing controversial content. 
and being more transparent about what they are doing. Michelle Quinn, VOA News. Read more on our top story by following our Twitter stream at VOA Asia. We're also on Facebook, VOA Asia, and the VOANews.com website. These are among the top Asia headlines you'll find right now on VOANews.com. First Cambodian-American mayor in U.S. takes office. China's economy could overtake U.S. economy by 2030. Suspected militant accused of beheadings killed in Indonesia. Indian police make first arrest in alleged online abuse of Muslim women. Pakistan vows to continue fencing Afghan border and downplays Taliban disruptive acts. Find complete coverage on all these stories on Facebook at VOA Asia, Instagram, Twitter, and on the VOANews.com website. Thank you for joining us on VOA Asia on this Wednesday. Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta has defended the country's China-backed infrastructure projects, which critics say are secretive, high cost, and put state assets at risk. Kenyatta made his comments at the site of the Nairobi Expressway toll road, which a Chinese company is building and will operate for 27 years. Mohamed Youssef reports from Nairobi. The Kenyan government has come under criticism for its appetite for Chinese money to fund large-scale infrastructure projects worth billions while inspecting a construction site for the 27-kilometer Nairobi Expressway. Kenyan President Huru Kenyatta said the country benefits from the Chinese. Our partnership with China is one that is mutually beneficial, that is based on win-win, and we are very grateful to the Chinese government, to the Chinese people, for the support that they continue to render, not only to our country, but to the rest of Africa. Chinese companies are building the expressway at a cost of $575 million. The road is expected to be finished in March. Chinese companies also built Kenya's 3.6 billion standard gauge railway, which opened in 2017. The Kenyan government's critics say the most deals between the two countries remain secret and could cause harm to the Kenyan economy. Kenya has borrowed $50 billion to fund its infrastructure project in the past few years, and some fear the country's Mombasa port could be given to China to operate if the country defaults on its loan repayments. In 2015, when Angola failed to repay a loan to China, it used its oil to make the payment, leaving the country with little oil to export to other markets. James Shikwati is an economist based in Nairobi. He says if a country fails to repay its loan... China can take over the country's assets for some years. All these developed countries have specific vehicles that guide how they finance a project. The most popularly known is the public-private partnership. And now the Chinese uh, have that, but they seem to be big on build-operate-transfer approach. So it's not necessarily that they're taking away your port, but they have to operate it until... It's at optimal level, then they, they, they let you take back your port. It's just a financing vehicle. Like all African countries, Kenya has witnessed slow economic growth due to the COVID 19 pandemic, making it difficult to meet financial obligations. 
Harriet Muganda worked in Mombasa port. She lost her job when the government began sending all the ship containers to Nairobi for processing. She fears more jobs could disappear if China were to take over the running of the port. We fear a lot, she says. At the moment, the government is the one running the Mombasa port, and there is not enough work for us. She asks what if China is the one running it. It means we won't have any employment here, she adds. Shikwati says African countries can pay off their loans and not lose national assets if their leaders exercise good governance and stick to a smart political and economic vision. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. A Hong Kong court found a 36-year-old attorney guilty on Tuesday of inciting an unauthorized assembly for an annual vigil to commemorate those who died in China's 1989 Tiananmen crackdown. Activist Chao Hang Tung of the since-closed Hong Kong Alliance in support of patriotic democratic movements in China was arrested the day before the June 4th anniversary of the crackdown last year. Police have banned the vigils in the last two years, citing coronavirus restrictions. Last month, eight pro-democracy activists were sentenced up to 14 months for their role in the 2020 vigil. Among them, Chow received a 12-month sentence. Chow also faces charges of inciting subversion under a sweeping security law imposed by Beijing in 2020. Still to come on VOA Asia, Chinese resettling in Ecuador. Happening now in Asia, in China, at least 14 people are dead and three others injured after a landslide at a construction site in the city of Baijie, Guizhou province, state media said. Stay up to date with VOA. You're listening to VOA Asia. VOA Asia continues. Since Xi Jinping assumed power in 2012 as head of China's Communist Party, the number of people choosing to leave China continues to rise. For those who can't make it to North America, the South American nation of Ecuador is becoming an attractive destination. VOA's Zhao Yu and Xi Wei explain why in this report narrated by Elizabeth Lee. This former English teacher from China calls herself Millie. In 2019, she arrived in Ecuador and now works with immigrants from China. I think 80%, 90% of the people who choose to leave China do so because they have a sense of fear living in that society. That fear continues for those living outside of China because many immigrants still have family back home. That's why Millie is using only her first name. She's helped hundreds of people from China relocate to Ecuador, ranging from the mega-rich to the middle class. She says economic and political uncertainty are the main reasons why some Chinese choose to emigrate. Many of my clients are afraid their renminbi will turn into trash, so they exchange all the RMB for dollars and stash them at home. Some are afraid China is going back to the planned economy, especially for their generation who have experienced those dark days. They're afraid their property will be confiscated. They tell me you think your properties are yours, but are they really yours? Political persecution is another reason why some Chinese, like Helen, flee to Ecuador. Helen, who gives only her first name, arrived in Ecuador on a tourist visa in 2019 and has since applied for residency here. I feel like I have escaped from China. Life there was too oppressive. 
Helen is Han Chinese, a part of China's ethnic majority. She grew up in Xinjiang, home to the Uyghurs, the ethnic Muslim minority group. Helen says she felt she was living in a prison, especially her Uyghur friends. They require most males to go to the re-education camp and some of the females as well. They might also send some officials to live with you. This is clearly surveillance, surveillance that has come to your house. In the last few years, Beijing has been restructuring its government to make it more efficient, China State Media reports. The increasingly tight control exerted by Chinese leader Xi Jinping has prompted even some apolitical Chinese to leave the country. This tech worker, who uses the name Li Dong, came to Ecuador in 2019 on a special talent visa. I think in the 1990s the regime was on the right track, and then came Xi Jinping who was taking China backwards. Most of his policies and crackdowns are to maintain his own power, and he has turned China into an authoritarian country. Xi's government has been making sweeping changes, affecting businesses and daily life in general. The tighter regulations, including an anti-monopoly law, aimed to promote common prosperity, says Beijing. China's state publication, The People's Daily, wrote that the changes can enhance people's buying capabilities by enlarging markets. Li Dong moved to Ecuador before these changes were made. Most people want to go to America or Canada, but the bar is too high. Ecuador is different. It has a low cost of living and is a democratic society. It also has a very low bar for immigration. Since Xi Jinping assumed power in 2012, some 600,000 people from China have sought asylum in other countries, according to the United Nations. Beijing authorities now restrict issuing passports because of COVID-19, which may limit the number of people leaving the country. For reporters Xiao Yu and Shuei Chou in Quito, Ecuador, Elizabeth Lee, VOA News. VOA Asia Facebook is the choice of millions to see and read the latest stories about Asia and the United States. Follow us on VOA Asia Facebook. VOA Asia is also on Twitter and YouTube. Subscribe to all of our platforms for free. See, hear, read, and share all the latest from VOA Asia anytime. VOA Asia is your trusted source for news, information, and great features. This news alert from VOA Asia. In Australia, new coronavirus cases surged to record levels on Tuesday, increasing the strain on hospitals and causing some testing centers to close due to the strain of the testing volume. All the big stories come your way through the day on VOA Asia Twitter and Facebook. This is VOA Asia. Welcome back to VOA Asia. On the 40th anniversary of a famous skin cancer campaign in Australia, research has revealed that a high number of young Australians are not using sun protection. From Sydney, Phil Mercer has more. Australia has one of the highest rates of skin cancer in the world. A new multi-million dollar awareness campaign hopes to repeat the success of the slip-slop-slap advertisement of the early 1980s. The sun shining down, the brown, but skin cancer isn't so hot, no it's not, so if you take a run... 
for work in the sun. Should you sizzle like a sausage? Most certainly not. Said the seagull, the voice of the advertisement's jingle, urged Australians to protect themselves from the sun with a shirt, sunscreen, and a hat. It is an enduring message that's educated generations of people since it was released 40 years ago. But the government believes rates of skin cancer are too high. The disease kills about 1,300 Australians each year. Research has shown that more than a quarter of Australians don't use any protection from the sun's ultraviolet radiation. Heather Walker from the charity The Cancer Council says teenagers need to be reminded of the sun's dangers. We do have a lot of work to do, particularly in the secondary school setting and with young adults. But encouragingly, older adults are using sun protection more. So it does seem to be a dip in in the life cycle, and then people come back to sun protection, which is really encouraging. But the other group that needs a reminder, in particular, is men. So in Australia, twice as many men as women die from melanoma, and that's a huge disparity. Now Australia is launching the first national skin cancer campaign in more than a decade. Sid the Seagull's famous slip slop slap message has been updated to encourage Australians to also seek shade and slide on a pair of sunglasses. Health authorities have said that skin cancer is Australia's most common cancer and is almost entirely preventable. The World Cancer Research Fund. States that Australia has the highest melanoma rates in the world, followed by New Zealand, Norway, and Denmark. It's expected that 16,000 Australians will be diagnosed this year with melanoma, a malignant tumour associated with skin cancer, according to government figures. The Australian Cancer Council lists three main types of skin cancers: basal cell carcinoma. Squamous cell carcinoma and melanoma. Phil Mercer for VOA News, Sydney. Making headlines in Asia, Cambodian-American lawyer and activist Terry Seng was briefly detained in Phnom Penh while walking barefoot near the Prime Minister's residence in a prison-style orange outfit and Khmer Rouge-era ankle shackles. She was on her way to a court hearing and was live streaming her progress via social media. Stay up to date with VOA. You're listening to VOA Asia. VOA Asia continues. Rangers protecting threatened wildlife in Cambodia are using artificial intelligence to predict poachers' next moves. Matt Dibble reports. At the Srebok Wildlife Preserve in Cambodia, rangers are in a constant battle against illegal hunting. Many species are threatened in the park. Poachers use wire snares, which can be extremely difficult to find in the 4,000 square kilometer park. Since 2018, a team at Harvard University's També Lab has been working with rangers at Srebok to develop a new tool called Paws. Which uses artificial intelligence to predict the poacher's behavior. Our goal is to help rangers、um, most strategically make best use of their limited number of resources and help them identify areas that are at high risk of poaching that they might not already be considering. Team leader Lily Shu, speaking to VOA via Skype, said they used five years of ranger data about where snares and other evidence of poachers have been found. The team combined this with locations of water sources, roads, 
elevation, and other geographic and seasonal data. The PAWS system produced maps showing areas of highest risk for poaching in red. In a blind test, rangers used the maps as a guide in areas that had rarely been searched. And what we found is that they found many more snares in the areas that we had designated to be high risk of poaching than in the medium risk locations. And they found almost no snares in the low risk areas, which showed that our predictive model could help rangers strategically identify which areas to prioritize. Srepok rangers discovered up to five times more snares using the predictive maps. The technology is expected to become widely available when it is integrated into wildlife tracking software already in use at over a thousand parks worldwide. Matt Dibble for VOA News. Finally on VOA Asia, it's a chaotic time for the Consumer Electronics Show 2022, the world's largest technology event. Last-minute COVID-19-related cancellations have wreaked havoc on the organizers' plans to host exhibitors and welcome visitors in person in Las Vegas and online. But as VOA's Julie Tabo reports, the show will go on. The pandemic may be raging and events canceled left and right, but the world's largest technology event will go on in a hybrid way, both in Las Vegas and online. More than 2,000 exhibitors from around the world will present their products and services at the Consumer Electronics Show. Karen Chupka, Executive Vice President of CES, spoke with VOA via Skype. We're going to have areas focused uh, specifically on food technology, on space technology, and then also on things like NFTs. CES will, as usual, be hosting some of the biggest names in the tech industry. Everybody from LG, Samsung, Sony, Canon. There will also be startups and smaller companies present. On the space technology front, one company attending the show, called Zero-G, offers people an opportunity to experience weightlessness without having to go into orbit. A specially modified Boeing 727 flies at an altitude above 5.7 kilometers and in specific formations to create a weightless environment, allowing passengers to float, flip, and soar as if they were in space. As in years past, there will also be a strong presence by the automotive industry, with a focus this year on self-driving vehicles, including trucks. We have BMW, we have um, Amazon, we have new companies like a, a company called Too Simple who uh, is doing uh, self-driving uh, freight trucks. The resurgence of COVID-19 means fewer in-person exhibitors. For example, about 120 companies will be coming from China, down from 700. That's due to the pandemic and quarantine periods, Chupka says. But the international presence, regardless, will be big, she says, with pre-registration numbers showing about 30% of exhibitors coming from overseas. She says some fast-growing areas and technology will play a bigger role in the show than in previous years. Like you said, obviously, digital health has been, you know, a, a, a tremendous growth area, especially in the last two years with the pandemic, with telemedicine and wearables and ways that, you know, people can better monitor themselves. Another area is home technology, where companies like One Valet are making residential living smarter and safer. Rick Hardy Chiam is vice president of sales and marketing at One Valet. He spoke with VOA via Skype. We've seen a lot of progress in smart homes, but we haven't seen it in apartments and condos, and that's what we're really focused on. Now, since COVID, a lot of folks, they no longer want to touch any more door handles. So as a resident, you actually have the ability to use your phone as a digital key. I can click on, on the resident app, main entry door, and just like this, you saw the door unlocked. For CES's Karen Chupka, 
The show is about the global tech community connecting with the world. For those who get to come in person, they'll have that opportunity to do it live face to face. And for those that can't come in person, that they'll still get that opportunity to see those new ideas and, and create those new relationships, but do it digitally. Julie Tabo, VOA News. Read and see more on this story at VOA Asia Facebook. That's all the time we have for today's VOA Asia. Make sure you find us on all our social media platforms. Like us on Facebook VOA Asia. Follow us on Twitter at VOA Asia. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, and at voanews.com. Thanks for joining us and thanks to our service chief, Diane Gao. Our VOA Asia team includes Jim Stevenson, Keith Lane, and Jessica Stone. I'm Chris Cascao in Washington. Enjoy the day, stay safe, and be well.